Hi everybody, Eric here with Smart Pot Fabric Planters back again with another episode of The Growing Revolution and our guest today is Bill Graham and he is an industry veteran. Um, he's a pioneer in the indoor gardening industry and has distributed and sourced grow lights, nutrients, hydroponics, um, air quality and tissue culture products to over 30 countries. Uh, from his home base in the Bay Area for nearly 20 years. Um, Bill's currently producing and developing new propagation technology in his lab space in San Mateo and traveling around California, Colorado, Arizona, and probably you know pretty much every state in the Union uh, you know touting his, his cloning technology and wanted to get him on the show to have him talk about you know, his um, experience in the industry, um, you know, what exactly is uh, tissue culture propagation, and uh, go from there. So, Bill, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Eric. I'm really glad to be here and get to talk to your audience. Um, uh, I, I, we've been waiting for this for a while, haven't we? You know, um, it's uh, especially knowing, you know, your longevity and relationship with, you know, Kurt and Jeff, especially Kurt going back years and years. Um, I think this will be a great uh, interview. So um, I'll get into into my line of questioning. I was uh, looking at your LinkedIn profile and it was a pretty interesting read. Uh, before we get into your history in the hydro industry, um, can you introduce yourself and your background basically? you know, how you got like your education and technical knowledge. Oh, God. Um, well, uh, it, it definitely goes way back to, uh, to, to childhood, genuinely. Um, always a nerdy kid, uh, gardener. I used to, uh, you know, pull weeds and plant things uh, in the flower beds with my mom um, and uh, in Florida. So this would be uh, just north of Daytona Beach up there. Um, but it really is so funny. I was uh, naturally drawn to, uh, to, to, to planting and pots and starting seeds and propagating and so on like that. Uh, you know, genuinely like, you know, kindergarten, uh, kindergarten age. Uh, but it, it, it's sort of funny, um, uh, you know, take that and move forward a couple of years and um, uh, maybe like 15 years old or so like that, you know, um, I was already familiar with uh, with weed. This was Central Florida. We were definitely there was there was plenty moving through the state, uh, and um, but it was really kind of funny. Maybe the third time I ever took uh, money out of my pocket to uh, buy weed, I was like, "This is bullshit." You know, there's seeds in that bag, and of course I've got pots and pots and the best stuff uh, in the world back at my house. So I became a seed maniac. Uh, collecting seeds out of bags. I started taking them off the t tables, ashtrays, digging them out of the carpet. And next thing you know is I'm actually spending my afternoon at my buddy's house, uh, you know, cleaning cleaning pounds uh, in a uh, the, the lid of a game box um, so that I'd have just bags and bags of seeds. And for those who would remember, um, film canisters. Film canisters full of seeds. My dad kept Jamaican his uh, seeds in a film canister. That was really it. It's what you had, and I did photography at the same time. But anyway, uh, it was that's what really did it. Because <clears throat> here are the seeds. Here's the materials. You start germinating them, and you start getting little plants. 
and the first thing that comes up is now what where are you going to put it how is it going to keep getting bigger uh, and how do I do it in such a way that it doesn't get discovered and so you know I'm going to school I'm, I'm making good grades uh, but it was um, always having all these little seedlings popping up because it was just I just germinate 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 over and over uh, and find new places for everything and uh, and you know it took about a year or so until I started finding uh, good spots where uh, things were safe and could take care of themselves and really start to grow at the same time uh, strategies to uh, allow them to uh, grow uh, take care of themselves how do you put them in the ground water them once and be able to leave them safely for a couple of weeks because uh, yeah it's Florida and it may rain every day Eric you would know because you live there uh, but it's a light rain and the state is mostly sand so mm -hmm. that water goes in and it goes right through and basically if you're not on sand you're in a swamp so uh, you know there it was trying to it was finding those good spots that were right in between but anyway it was sort of yeah it was sort of doing that and then it started to work uh, but really I never really kind of meant to do this as a profession I really just always enjoyed uh, uh, making the plants and the satisfaction of them uh, looking so gorgeous you know because you were never going to see you know live full bud uh, you know green cannabis plants unless they were your own because if they were somebody else's they'd already told somebody else and that stuff was going to get stolen you know so it, it, you really had to keep it to yourself all the time and that was that was really it can't tell girlfriends can't tell my friends and ultimately, you know, I'm sorry to share with your audience, but, uh, you know, we're, you're growing pounds, so you're going to have to give it to somebody else. Uh, so what I did was I ended up hooking up with my friend's older brothers and sisters, um, the, the, the girls who used to babysit for me, because I remember they would, uh, uh, you know, I was a kid in the 70s, so they would all be out on the porch smoking weed anyway, so I'd give them a ring and be like, I got green bud for 35 bucks a quarter, and they'd be like, I'll take two. Uh, <laughs> and working in a big restaurant. So, you know, the kind that has like banquet rooms. So food service, you know, yeah. I, I, I had a market for everything I did, but it was never really, it was always kind of a hobby on the side, but it was, it was fun, it was easy. And because I was drawn to it, I couldn't stop. So even as I went to school in Gainesville, uh, was still growing, um, but uh, really interesting circumstances that uh, I could study, I could grow weed uh, on the side and chew, uh, it was paying my way through school by the way. So Were you I growing indoors or outdoors my... at that time? I'm glad you asked uh, because it was uh, a little of both. Um, okay. So uh, most, of the time, most of the time it was uh, raising the plants inside up to a manageable size and then finding really good places for them outside. So uh, my strategy would be to raise everybody to about two feet tall, uh, basically trim the bottom half or so uh, of leaves. Um, and because that Florida soil, uh, there was a great water table, but it was, you know, maybe a couple feet down. Um, I would take the plants out in four, three or four inch pots. Um, I built a special tool out of a post hole diggers. So I sawed the handles off so they'd fit in a backpack. And I would carry with me uh, water jugs smashed flat, um, the post hole digger, uh, chicken wire, um, and uh, uh, Osmocote, and uh, water crystals, polyacrylamide water crystals, if anyone's familiar with those. Uh, but I would get out to a spot, 
um, clear away weeds and so on like that. And uh, I would make these deeper holes. So my two-foot plant was only about seven or eight inches tall when it went into the hole. Nice. I buried all that stem So the, and, and then added the, uh, the, the slow-release fertilizer and the water crystals and watered it in really well. And that was my guarantee because once that started to go, eventually those roots would hit the water table right. and I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Right. And, of course, I wanted to be in a spot that was uh, dry enough that the buds wouldn't rot. Makes sense. But uh, outdoors, but ultimately, yeah, I did do a lot of indoor stuff. Uh, but this is wild. This was at a time before you could really buy uh, good grow lights. You know, so there was a few lighting companies out there, um, but not a, so much of the stuff was available where I was. Um, and so we were making grow lights out of uh, high bay fixtures, uh, street lights. Uh, when they would take them down to replace them, we'd steal them off the ground. Uh, more than once, I hung over uh, the rail uh, of a of a building to steal a security light off the wall. Generally, I uh, there were times when my roommate would be holding me by my belt uh, while I leaned over a third or fourth story um, railing and uh, unscrewed a, uh, a a security light from a building. Oh, I was man. scared to death one night at UF when I was stealing a light uh, because I had loosened everything uh, on the uh, walkway side. Um, and the light came loose and it started to fall. And at that moment, someone on the bicycle went almost directly underneath. And the only thing holding that light in place were the wire caps. And I was like, Fuck, don't do this anymore. Um, you know, it, it was, would have been the craziest circumstance, but it was not worth it. Right. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we would genuinely have, to, we, we would go down to Home Depot and buy uh, 100 and 150 watt sodium security lights. Uh, and just disassemble them into their basic parts um, to make uh, to make grow lights out of them. Wow! But I was also around when the good grow lights started to show up. I, I have to tell you, readers. I mean, this is we're talking 19, uh, 1986, 87, 88. Um, and so, for instance, a grow light would be like a thousand watt halide grow light, which was the size of a basketball. You know, jacket size BT fifty seven. You don't even see those anymore. Right. Then they made the smaller jacket. Then they made them horizontal, and I was like, "Holy shit, you can buy these horizontal!" And you know, all these things were game changers, and we got to see them in real time. Right. And then copy them, uh, and then it was uh, to start uh, start making our own. And everything I made, if we could make a good enough version, we made extra and sold them. So I kind of started making and selling grow equipment in the uh in the 80s uh just on uh just on demand yeah yeah that's you know that's kind of been <laughs> my observation of the hydro industry in general is that it's really been brought up on the backs of growers who have you know sourced or invented products out of necessity um because they they feel that need you know to to you know to grow more to grow it faster to get higher potency um you know i was joking with nate just Lifton keep the goddamn from things alive that you know growers <laughs> yeah. will never stop reaching for more uh cannabis growers will that's... will never stop yeah i know that that's a, <laughs> that's really the nature of the plant okay it, it's 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 a flowing stream you know you you can't yeah stop and and cannabis is a plant that you know it almost seems like the more kind of we throw at it you know technology nutrient you know technique wise it just keeps responding with you know higher potency you know higher yields um you know higher 
you know, medicinal properties. It's definitely a unique plant. And once you start growing cannabis, like, like you said, it's hard to stop. It's addictive. It's fun. That's uh, that's Ed Rosenthal's uh, favorite quote is, um, you know, marijuana is not a cannabis is not addictive, but growing it is. Yeah. And, um, and I, I got to I got to make a shout out to Ed because it's funny. I started all of this uh, with Ed's books that I got back in probably 82. I was going to ask where you were getting speaking. your knowledge base from. So it makes sense. It was Ed's books. Oh, yeah, it was hilarious. I mean, no sooner did I have a car than I met the local head shop. Uh, you know, buying a buying a bong, and uh, not encouraging minors to do anything bad like this. Um, but uh, but of course they had the grow books, and so I was like, I'm thumbing through the books, and I was going, oh hell yeah! So you know, I started buying everything off the shelf over there, and it was a, a fair but limited selection. Um, but it was uh, enough of the information you needed to get started. You know, Ed's book would at that point still was almost. Um, uh, 300 pages long and uh, with lots of great photos and it just absorbed that uh, every part of it uh, and you know just to give your readers kind of some background is you know the grow lights in the book uh, were four by eight sheets of plywood with fluorescent uh, fixtures screwed to them so you know you would you would end up screwing up screwing fluorescent fixtures to this thing every six inches over the entire four by eight sheet not cheap not uh you know not easy um and not easy to manage yeah <laughs> you know yeah and, and so, who knows how uh, safe would... that was too ultimately <laughs> well i learned a lot of wiring uh you, you know i can I, I can i can wire a house plumb a house i can do all this stuff today because of uh what we learned back then yep. and the fact that you had to do it all in the middle of the night uh, with the tools you had, and your only resource really was kind of the uh, the, the hardware store, uh, and maybe uh, you know specialty electronics or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because you like... can't call up the local plumber to help you with your you know irrigation system on your cannabis, uh, you know, or the electrician to up your uh, you know capacity, especially back then. Even to get the parts, you had to make up a whole cover story and be able to back it up without suspicion. Uh, exactly, we're talking about a, a really, a really wild special skill. I, I, I did it all the time. I was like, okay, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to make this shit up, um, and uh, to, to, to get all this done, or know exactly what the hell we need so the guy doesn't ask questions. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I'm so sorry. Let's, uh, let you know. Let, let's get your listeners in on uh, some of the, the most valuable stuff that they uh, can hear right now. What 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 can I share with you that? Uh, well, I, I, honestly, I, I think you know this is the most valuable stuff. Are are you know kind of these right. you know funny anecdotes of what it was like you know before you know we had this freedom to to grow you know plants. Uh, I guess it depends on what state you're in. Many states yeah. uh, it still is a felony uh, to grow. Um, unfortunately, Florida is yeah. one of those. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah. I, 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 I was reading about your, um, your, uh, your like grow store, plant science and garden supply, and starting that yeah. up, and you know, kind of running that out of you know your truck or your car and and Lowe's. Oh, like did that I just that sounds the, like a crazy that on story. The site? <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks, man. No, it was exactly like that. Uh, I. Uh, um, uh, in between the time that we were talking about, 
uh, and probably 1995, um, I uh, had gotten to where uh, I would never grow in my own house because I was too high profile, uh, except occasionally I'd do a closet here or there, uh, mostly for little plants and so on. But I started growing in everybody else's house. So I got really good at uh, um, somebody would give me a bedroom or I'd take a rental for the summer um, and I can move all the gross stuff in with the baby plants, blow out a crop, clean it all up and get out of there um, in, uh, you know, like 70 days. Uh, but uh, ultimately what happened was about 95 I ended up with a job at Lowe's uh, just because I had worked for the government um, in the uh, plant lab uh, as a botanist uh, kind of monitoring uh, non-indigenous species so invasive species uh, and uh, and generally got uh, it was wild I got personally fought uh, our lab got fired um, on c-span by Newt Gingrich um, while we were work one day. So I had a great honest job and uh, um, Newt decided that we were unessential workers um, and uh, shut our shit down, um, which was entirely wrong. But it was the beginning of all that really stupid stuff that we still have today. Um, but uh, so I was like, okay, cool. Um, need a job. So I got went to Lowe's. And while I was at Lowe's, I had all these guys coming through. Uh, I was at the garden department, of course. And, you know, they'd have shopping lists. It's like, I need these pots, I need these lights, I need this irrigation, the whole thing like that. And um, real quick is I'd get their list. And if you can imagine, I'd be like, well, actually follow me, you know, and I'll get you all the stuff you need. And I would walk them through the store because I'm, I'm the one who did it before. And I'm loading their cart but up. But they don't know that. Grow, grow lights out, everything. Oh, well, it's funny. It's, they're getting it right away because of the stuff I'm giving them. They're like, oh, this guy is right. not full of shit. You know, holy crap, this is even better. But I, what I saw from there was the uh, opportunity to start getting like real equipment because it existed now. Um, and uh, just out of crazy circumstance, and you and I talked earlier that, you know, luck is preparation plus an opportunity, moment opportunity. Um, one of my uh, good friends was working up in um, uh, near Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, for one of the uh, P test company called uh, Clear Choice. And um, when I was hanging out with him up here, he was like, you know, really, you should be distributing this stuff. You should be selling it. And over the course of a day, we uh, signed up for distribution accounts with Green Air, Hydro Farm, Bloomington Wholesale, and all of these uh, distributors of hydroponic goods. So here I am at Lowe's with catalogs in my apron and a cell phone. And I just went ahead and printed up business cards, too. And so customers would come in, and um, they, if I could tell, if they were starting to look for all gross stuff, I would hand them a catalog give them a, self, a card with my cell phone and help them walk them through an order. So I ended up starting my business on the floor of Lowe's, uh, looking like I was doing Lowe's business. Um, and a, an order would go like this. Two guys would come in. It was always two guys, all right? Right. Uh, and, um, and they've got the shopping list. I lay this shit on them. They are fucking floored. But at the same time, they are listening. They are, they're paying attention. And so it's like, okay, here's you know, here's the list and all like that. You're going to need this much light for this much space. Here's the rest of the pieces to go with it. I would draw them up an order list, and uh, and then they'd lay a down payment on me. And I'd order all their stuff into my house, uh, home address, and then I'd bring it to work in my Jeep. And they would, I'd give them a ring, they'd follow up, and they'd give me a, an envelope with a balance. I'd hand them my car key. I always parked under this, underneath this oak tree over on the side of the lot. And uh, off they would go. 
and I'd take the cash over to the little uh, special order register, count it all up, stick it in my pocket, and then they'd come back with my car key and we were done. Sometimes I'd meet them after work, but you know, that's, I, I started plant science like that. But ultimately what happened was the orders got big. And so one day I'm headed off to work and maybe 30 minutes later I end up with a three pallet order uh, in my driveway. And that was uh, four by eight trays, cases of Grodan rock wool, boxes of GH and all these other nutrients, everything you expect for a giant grow, standing in my driveway for about eight hours. And even the location of my driveway was really kind of special because I lived in this neighborhood in Northwest Gainesville uh, called Spring Tree. And the whole neighborhood narrowed down to a single street that went through to another section that opened up into like four or five blocks. Uh So I was the bottleneck. The pallets are sitting in my driveway in the bottleneck. And everybody who had to go past those pallets um, was either a grower or a cop. Because everyone who lived past me, that was, that was where all that went on. And I was like, there's no fucking way that this stuff can stay in my driveway t- overnight. Because I was keeping it in my, in my tin shed in the back and in my screened-in porch. Right. No. So immediately I went out and found a, 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 a warehouse space of about 500 square feet, conveniently, immediately behind the popular... Uh, herpetological, the, the the popular reptile store called Her- Hogtown Herpetological, and uh, put everything in there. And uh, what's funny, and the, the the name Plant Science came from a leftover sign from Scott's Miracle Grow that they had sent uh, to be posted above their um, fertilizers and pest controls, but that Lowe's had uh, chosen not to use. And so I had just held on to it because it sounded cool. And I went over, screwed it to the side of the building next to my door, named the company Plant Science, and um, uh, that was that was the beginning of my retail experience, which incidentally was eight years to the week uh, after the time my roommate said, hey, we're driving to Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa, and Fort Lauderdale for equipment. We should just open a store in Gainesville. And I said, hell no. Who wants that kind of profile? Eight years later, I'm the grocery store. <laughs> Nice, nice. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's and it, and it got bigger. Yeah, that's that's the uh, <laughs> it got a lot bigger. Yeah, that's the that's the typical grow store story. Is you know you're a grower and eventually you get so big that you're like, well, might as well open a store and you know get stuff at wholesale. <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, I know. And it's funny. I've known all those people. Uh, and, and, you know, and it's difficult to run both. It's like manage your grow or manage your store, and definitely don't get caught. Um, because once you, the crazy thing about running stores in the, the 90s and dev odds um, is that you are so ho- high profile. Uh, you've got an address online. I had an address in the phone book. And, uh, you know, we can get into a link, lengthy podcast just about all of the police and DEA visits I had um, over two decades. I could imagine you know, uniformed was... and uh, undercover uh, were probably in and out. Yeah. Uh, that that was it, you know, and, and and always very polite, very respectful. You know, I uh, um, I was more of a source of information than the uh, intended targets. So, you know, it, it kind of went like that. Yeah. But you know, they knew where things were happening. They uh, knew that I was a conduit to uh, what they needed. Should I have kept better records and had a better better memory? <laughs> right. 
So eventually, uh, you ended up moving from Florida out to California. What prompted uh, that yeah. move? And then, you know, what were you doing in the hydro industry? Yeah, that that was another just amazing opportunity, and the timing could not have been better. Uh, I I had only been running my shop for about a year or so, and I basically was working at Lowe's, waiting for my wife to finish school. So she uh, um, had uh, graduated as a uh, an English major and probably was going to manage a bank or do something like that. We were going to live happy and poor, uh, probably in Florida. Um, But she uh, did really well and got a a residency opportunity with uh, uh, UC San Francisco and Genentech at the same time. So she jumped right into uh, pharma biotech um, uh, with the biggest names you could uh, in the West. And she goes, hey, do you want to you want to move to San Francisco? And of course, I've been doing you know so much business with the uh, San Francisco coast and uh, had toured the Bay Area and Cali, um, and uh, really liked it. That I was like, oh, absolutely. So in about six weeks' time, it went from an idea to selling the house, the business, liquidating everything, and doing the uh, Beverly Hills Billies, um, <laughs> uh, which is pretty much what our moving van looked like. Truly cross country trip, um, and uh, but. Landed in uh, landed in the Bay Area near SFO Airport, um, and the following Friday. So I I move in on sun, Saturday, and by the following Friday they are having the first ever Hydroponic Merchants Association. So this is going to be the first international expo of grow equipment uh, retailers, manufacturers, and wholesalers. Wow! Up to this point, they had been participating in the uh, Hydroponic Society of America, which is more of an academic uh, organization, and, but it had become a significant part of the membership and uh, and and the trade expo that they had. Um, but it, among that, they had decided that they were uh, a uh, a group unto themselves, and said, "We're going to go to do this thing." And um, and they were having that down in San Jose, which is you know maybe about 40 minutes from my house, uh, not even. And um, and so I spent the week in between. Uh, printing up uh, business cards for a future local business that I would do. Uh, I was already in the mail order, in, and that was 1998. Um, and uh, uh, I went ahead and went around and visited all the local stores uh, since I was in town. So I went to San Francisco to Planet Earth uh, with Brooke Taggart. I went over to Berkeley Indoor Garden with Victor. Um, went to uh, uh, Oakland um, with... Uh, Jump out of my... Anyway, there were only so many stores right around the area, but this was the epicenter. General Hydroponics is in the North Bay. Hydrofarm was in the North Bay. Um, yep. You know, the, this stuff was... Right. And then uh, we ended up going to the meeting. And so that turned out to be a huge opportunity because this meeting was so small that there were maybe 64 booths for the entire international hydroponic organization. At this point, the Canadian distributors were the giant ones, and we were just catching up to what they were doing. Sure. Um, but there would be Sunlight Supply, who would eventually get bought for four hundred for four hundred eighty million dollars. There was Green Air, there was Hydro Farm, um, which is you know va- all these companies are valued in billions now. Um, and and we sat around this little room and just basically uh, everybody was introducing themselves. A lot of people were introducing themselves for the first time. Diamond was a, a great lighting company and distributor, uh, and I got to inter- I interviewed with them, um, uh, and uh, it, as that is really considered sort of one of the big bang moments, 
for the indoor garden industry because we would thereafter carry hydroponic merchants forward and eventually add the maximum yield uh, trade shows which then became the big international trade show and remember like all this stuff was being developed for you know for mint growers of all sizes because we were really trying to uh, uh, produce equipment that anybody could use on any scale successfully with the limited exchange of information you had you the books were still kind of catching up George Savantes had a really good series and, and Ed uh, kept producing his we didn't have so many more authors at that time really yeah and and frankly those guys were actually kind of excluded from the trade show which was too bad because remember that's true to sell anything related to cannabis growing you couldn't even talk uh, about cannabis a, at those shows well not if you didn't want to lose your stuff or your money or your or, or your books because you know what we all worked around was the controlled substance act of 1987 uh which said that if the product can be uh linked to a, a felony it was uh it, it, it it's it was um uh contraband so uh, paraphernalia right. it was contraband paraphernalia and of course property doesn't have rights so we managed all of this on a global scale without ever seeing cannabis or anything and it wasn't even the tomatoes tomatoes was a bad word too because you start talking about tomatoes it would and you talked about 12-hour plants and flowering it, tomatoes was considered by Supreme Court uh, and court cases by the DEA to be code. If you just said plants, then you could. It was wide open to whatever you wanted. Right. And we managed this on a global scale uh, at, at, with all of that to grow it, to put out all the information necessary, and, and mostly doing it um, through that network, grower to store to wholesaler manufacturer, back through the same chain, yeah. all the way around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, 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 you know, uh, it, it was fantastically effective. I mean, we still have we still have some ripples of bad stuff out there, um, and that'll get us to the tissue culture, and that was primarily the mom plants. You know, uh, the one of the one of the things that sort of got left behind in everything that's come about today, because we're going to take that and we're going to jump uh, to the um, modern gardening, where you can have you can buy and assemble you know uh, the very best easy to manage high-tech garden you know that works naturally with the way that the plants want to perform which was kind of what you were getting at higher yields higher uh, uh better performance and so on the plant's going to do what the plant's going to do given the parts the the inputs that you you provide and the inputs have gotten so fantastic and the growers so knowledgeable about uh how to steer those things and of course the very best yep. growers make the pieces good the first time and the plants do all the work which is how it's supposed to be um but uh uh but mother plants are gonna are, are one of the things that i always tried to do without and even going back to those days my whole propagation program was always trying to do everything off of uh tables of veg plants that you sent to flowers so that we had a high turnover uh um, zero loss system yeah based on selection because that was it, it I was always the selective propagator, and the thing about mother plants was that you can pick a good plant to be your mother plant, but that once you let her go to six, set eight, ten, twelve months, all that goes out the window, because you know there's going to be little screw-ups along the way that are going to cost you. Uh, plus, the longer the plants are around, the more opportunity you have to kind of end up with like, uh, you know, mom plant 
catching or holding or passing on any kind of uh, diseases. Uh, because you have to remember in a grow environment, the plants are the petri dishes. The media is the petri dish for all the things we're trying to get rid of. You know, that's what makes them a problem. Yep. Um, and so turnover, the thing that makes indoor, particularly indoor gardens work. Outdoors, you have a lot of factors in your favor, which is, you know, the natural cycle, natural pest control and everything like that. Hot days, cold nights, so on. Indoors, we have to exclude those. And uh, it's kind of funny that uh, the, all the propagation I did on veg plants also ultimately kind of led to what we do now with the tissue culture. And funny enough, my tissue culture story also goes back like 30-something years. <laughs> right in between that. <laughs> yeah, we should probably we get into about. that. Um, yeah, so, you know, you're, you're the <laughs> president of uh, microclone tissue culture. Um, can you explain, you yeah. know, I guess how you got into that and, you know, I, uh, maybe a, a brief description of what tissue culture is for those who, you know, are unfamiliar? You got it. No, we'll start. We'll start with all of that. Uh, tissue culture is really it, it, the grow, growers already know hydroponics. Tissue culture is doing hydroponics with sugar. So it's the same nutrients. It's the same hormones. If we add sugar, you pretty much have provided everything that the growing and maintenance tissue of plants need. You know, because the whole purpose of uh, photosynthesis, uh, translocation, and vessels roots and so on, is to be able to pull in these materials, water, nutrients, uh, transport uh, hormones up and down, and of course, you know, make sure sugar can reach all of the growing points where, uh, where that's occurring. Mm -hmm. And so we can do that by taking the sugar from another plant, like sugarcane or beets, regular white sugar, adding it to your hydroponic nutrient, and then putting uh, plant pieces in it, uh, because Whereas roots themselves cannot directly absorb sugar, they have a, a layer inside of them called the Caspian strip that excludes uh, uh, sugar. Uh, it can, however, directly be absorbed through like stem tissue, leaf tissue, anything that's not a root. So that being done, now we have to make sure that nothing else is trying to grow on that sugar besides the plant. So that mm -hmm. is where you see... HEPA filters or laminar hoods and pressure sterilizers and alcohol and so on like that. But but that's cool. That is just, you know, that is uh, all called sterile technique. Um, it is a lot simpler than it sounds. You know, uh, really just kind of think of it in terms of what you would do to uh, uh, prepare and store clean food, you know, for instance. But, uh, you know, we'll do we'll grow small pieces of plants because uh, we only really in cannabis particularly we really just need the growing points those tips at the uh, tips of branches um, and if you take those down to an inch or so it's just like a very small clone and um, and in in my case I try to do most of my stuff as a shortcut using uh, the test tubes or you know sometimes larger two or three plant containers uh, to uh, make clones from very small cuttings. So I'll take one inch pieces, put them in my shortcut tissue culture for about three weeks to allow them to get a little bit taller, start putting on leaves, uh, and then the base uh, that's in the medium uh, tends to get fat as it absorbs the sugar and makes wood, and then it gets lumpy with roots that are just getting started from the hormone. Mm -hmm. And incidentally, this is a good time to add that the fourth ingredient to that rooting media 
is uh, going to be auger, which is kind of like gelatin. Uh, it just holds the whole thing together. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's a powder. We mix it in uh, with the, uh, the newts and the sugar. And when it's uh, heated up to boiling, it cools as a, as a nice clear uh, semi-solid gel. Mm -hmm. It means we can put plants in it and they stand up. And when we're done, a jelly. Just think of jelly. When you're done, we just uh, warm it up uh, and it, it slides right out. And so we clean and reuse everything. I've got this great little room that's very easy to manage uh, with just uh, a, couple, a couple fluorescent tubes on a shelf, um, a little HEPA filter, and a, uh, in a grow tent. Um, so uh, I can put my plants in test tubes, put it on that shelf, and they take care of themselves uh, until I need to take them back out. Yeah, it's it sounds like for, you know, especially a commercial operation, the main, to me, the main benefit of doing uh, tissue culture is you can have much smaller mother plants um, and, or, and, you know, if that's what you're looking to do and take, a, a, you know, proportionately many more cuttings or, you know, versus if you cloned that same plant. Mm -hmm. um, are there any other... You know, benefits for, for growers doing tissue culture versus traditional clones? Um, there are uh, oh, a handful. Um, you know, the first being, you know, I, eliminating mom plants fixes a bunch of problems. Uh, it, the continuation of disease, uh, you know, um, uh, it, uh, it gives us a... Uh, a, a, a system that kind of all is always flushing out plants so you know little plants all to go to flower nice thing about flowers you in my in my mind flowering is leaving you know plants go into a, a flowering room they're going to flower go to harvest if any problems occur uh, as long as they occur after propagation you can manage them in flower and then when you go and harvest you can clean and start all over again as long as your propagation material is clean mm -hmm. so you know, any problems that do come up are compartmentalized into a particular flower room uh, and and you have the chance to just clean it and do it all over again. Uh, but the big advantages are going to be um, uh, uh, tissue culture itself is a disease selection process in that uh, we'll take those small pieces and uh, their cleaning process is, um, I'll, I'll kind of start with how the media is made in the room uh, is, is kept clean. So we got a grow tent and it's got a HEPA filter in it. We've wiped down all the surfaces, so that's good. Uh, the tubes and jars that the plants will grow in uh, are all sterilized like in a pressure cooker or an instant pot. Um, uh, the media and the container. So when that cools down, it's on the shelf, that's all good. Uh, the plants are uh, trimmed down as small as possible and washed with a, a chlorine solution. Um, I like to use the spa shock really the uh, dichlor uh, which is disodium uh, uh, iso um, cyanurate or something you've got several different components but everybody sees it in the pool cleaning department as uh, as, as pool shock mm -hmm. as a powder um, usually 99% uh, and it's great uh, it's it's like chlorine it's like bleach like Clorox except it evaporates and remember, this is the same stuff they use for cleaning baby bottles, or if you make beer or wine, uh, rinsing those bottles. Okay. Um, a lot, a lot of your listeners uh, may be familiar with the tablets you put in your camping water. So you go camping, you drop the t clean tablet in, same stuff. So anyway, we're going to clean the plant with that because it's relatively mild. 
uh, and it evaporates, mm -hmm. which is one of the huge advantages. And then lastly is you've got some scalpels and forceps and all of those. Uh, you wash your hands, you spray the tools, but um, uh, the plant is cleaned in, in bleach water. Uh, I trim in a little shallow saucer in a puddle of the same chlorine so that while you're working, nothing's floating in. Um, I make my tissue culture so it is user-friendly in that you don't have to own a laminar hood. Uh, we take just a clear plastic storage box, uh, put it in that same tent as the grow lights because you already have the HEPA filter. And that way I can reach over to the shelf where the clean media has been stored for a day, a week, a month. Um, and as I cut the plants, I can put them in the tubes, label them, and put them on the shelf that's right above me or right behind me. Uh, done. And like I said, you step in with plants in a cup. Uh, you step out with plants and leave plants in tubes. And you should, you know, you always be able to do that. A couple weeks later, the plants are big. You just take the whole rack out, take it over to the sink, and we just start pulling all the plants out of the tubes, rinse them with a little water so there's no sugar on them, and stick those into plug trays with a dome. And uh, they will root in about 12 days with special attention to, uh, you know, the acclimation because they are more tender than ordinary clones. Sure. First of all, you see leaves and new tissue that have all grown because the thing started as a stick. I mean, I'm, I genuinely mean take a toothpick, color it green. That's what your starting piece looks like. Um, uh, and so leaves have come out. Those leaves do not yet have a cuticle on them, the waxy protective surface. So that'll come, and the little stomata breathing holes that exist in the leaves have never closed. You know the those you know those little ones that look like a vulva. Mm -hmm. um, but you know we're that's part of the acclimation. And number three, of course, is they're uh, obviously easy targets for even benign uh, little funguses and things that float through the air. So we put them in plug trays. I usually keep about a tenth of a percent hydrogen peroxide solution. Uh, to give them a spray first day, second day, then usually every other day, uh, and, and burp that dome uh, frequently. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's kind of cool is plants start to grow, roots start to come out. Everybody knows what to do with them after that. The, the uh, If there's any disease on or in the plant, uh, then we, we will see it growing in the medium. So if it's pretty and clean, just like you put it in, but the plant's getting bigger, cool. Something funky is starting to grow or it's milky or whatever like that. We just pull the tube. Right. Remember, all these tubes are isolated so one doesn't spoil its neighbor. But as soon as you see something funky, you get rid of it. You dump it. You put fresh media in it. You put a new plant in it. Don't ever stress on the contamination. Your goal is to get finished plants. Mm -hmm. And you will always do what you're doing better. So part of what that did was led me to a shortcut um, because a lot of your uh, readers, uh, listeners are going to be familiar with uh, the popular micropropagation type of tissue culture, which is common for so many of the other species. Mm -hmm. So trees, fruits, foliage plants, ferns, aloe, whatever you got. Uh, most of the tissue, when they hear tissue culture, they are really hearing about making all of their new plants from the test tubes in the jars. And in fact, your nurseries, dark heart, finest, front range, nodes, uh, all of those guys, that's a lot of what they'll do. Just like mother plants, they'll put the plant into uh, in the media in this jar, a larger piece, a larger jar, and the hormone choice will be a branching hormone 
this, the class called cytokinins. Uh, so the, the, the plants will branch, but will, will prevent the growth of roots. And that's kind of cool. They go to this jar, they, the, the, a plant will start from a relatively small piece, but it'll get bigger and, and start to branch. And you just, you can cut that into three or four new pieces. You only need one to start it all over again, and those other pieces then go on to rooting and make new plants. And that's okay, um, uh, especially for a nursery, uh, except for two things. Um, first of all is cannabis in particular can be fussy about, uh, strains specifically fussy, about their multiplication medium. Uh, I've got three, for instance, that I put in the kits, and um, you know, growers can select among them should they wish to go that route mm -hmm. to do some multiplication and or storage, because storage and multiplication work kind of the same way. One will be with encouraging slower growth and more time in the bottle, that for storage, and multiplication is kind of the opposite. We want it to be want more plants faster right. uh, but um, I I actually created a, a technique called tissue ponics um, which is funny it's actually been evaluated by uh, the professional society for in vitro biology and I will be there in June um, kind of following up with my um, with my results uh, because I kind of took the tissue culture industry and uh, and 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 turned it sideways a little bit um, what I did was I I teach this a lot. Uh, I do a lot of on-sites. I do this for myself. And I'm also, as a cannabis grower, um, and, and working in everybody's nursery, like, like every other day I'm in somebody's nursery. And it's the exact same thing. I made a shortcut so that we uh, will take the best pieces of the best veg plants, uh, the tops. So your best, best veg plants, when you have to top them that first time, you know, they've got the, you've got the right number of nodes. We're going to take an inch and something off. Those pieces are what go into culture. Okay. So when you got your best veg plant, it is the best part of the best plant. Yeah. Um, it's, it's easier to clean that and put it into a tube than to try and make your plants from test tubes or from jars because you have the veg plants all the time. All cannabis, all our cannabis growers are vertical. It's an absolutely unique circumstance in all of agriculture and horticulture is that your cultivators are also your propagators. You have some people who buy plants from nurseries, but ultimately it's just to replenish their stock and they still manage their own propagation. I have not run into one cultivator that exclusively buys uh, prop, uh, their new propagation material uh, from from one nursery, uh, yeah. except for like the greenhouse people in Northern Cal, you know, it's like uh, they take those plants, they put them in the greenhouse because it's one season. But if you are indoors and you're doing this stuff every five, seven, 10, 14, 21 days or whatever your schedule is, uh, you are making those plants yourself. You have the veg plants. You know which veg plants are the best. You're looking at a table of 100. I bet you, you can definitely go and tell me what the best 30 or 40 plants are. For sure. Don't you want, those will be your new plants. So those guys get topped, they go into test tubes, and uh, they are ready to take out of culture in only three weeks. So, you know, we take all the risk out of it because you're only putting your toe in the water. Sure. The tissue culture becomes a tool for every home grower and, and, and even large-scale propagator uh, by just using... The, the important part, which is making new rooted plants from the best selected material. 
three week, it's in the tray in, in three weeks, and maybe five weeks out of that, it's actually the, it, it's ready to be topped again, yeah. okay? And what are you doing? You're topping it again. We have now created an entire generation cycle in only eight weeks. So, you know, you, you have some familiarity with agriculture and horticulture and, and, and our history with plants. Hasn't it always been selection of best plants by the grower that made crops improve? Yeah. You know, you, you get that, better, that wheat that's better than the other wheat, and that's what you make next year's crop out of. Now we're doing it every eight weeks. Yeah. Now we're doing it six and seven times a year. So it's funny. I actually was taught this by my own growers, totally by accident. I was selling, um, I, I was selling disease removal by tube selection because you can see stuff. And actually, we'll get into viroids later, which is a little different, but it's still built in. But the number three thing that improves the crop more than anything is grower selection and frequency. Because, bang, best becomes best becomes the whole table, and you're taking the best again. Yeah. So now with metric, my metric uh, cultivators are able to show me graphically how crops have improved um, even though they were disease-free. So they're like, look, we didn't have any viroids. We didn't have any pathogens. Uh, this crop improved <clears throat> exclusively, 15% improvement in four and a half months over the entire crop just from, uh, just from two cycles. We were only at two and a half cycles at that point uh, of, uh, of selection. Wow. Instead of mom plants using best veg plants. And the best part about it was they didn't have to do that anymore. Their technicians did it. So they sent their technicians to the veg table right. with a little tray. And they said, okay, bring me the best tips. Cool. You know, in like 15 minutes, yeah, they anyone can the do best that. tips. And then they, went, but, yeah, then they went back to the table and topped everything else to compost and carried on their job like normal. Meanwhile, they took those best pieces, and that's what they cleaned and put in the tubes. Wow. And uh, eventually, they've come back as new plants. I make this I make this so ridiculously but easy that uh, you, I carry these materials and I do this stuff on the fly just about anywhere. Uh, uh, anybody who's kind of followed my Facebook page, uh, I, my, my little box of tissue culture tubes is just about as famous as I am because uh, I pack this thing with prepared tubes, a little scalpel and forceps, uh, some chlorine and, uh, and take it anywhere. Um, and in fact, my, I just got back from Columbia, uh, where I uh, got to kind of guest judge um, for the uh, Golden Cup in Santa Marta, nice. uh, but went on to Medellin um, to, uh, to do demonstrations and, and, and give tissue culture to the, uh, to the growers there. And we were doing this stuff in restaurants. I bought a pressure cooker at the store. I mixed up my stuff right there at the table, sent it to the kitchen so they could sterilize it. <laughs> And, uh, and generally, not two and a half hours later, uh, I took the little the, the, the cuttings they brought me, we cleaned them, we put them in the test tubes right there, and then we, uh, th then we, you know, we had awesome cocktails and, uh, um, <laughs> and dinner at the same spot. And I've been doing this for like 15 years. The industry is just catching on. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and somewhere or another, we'll probably need to bring up viroids because that's really a hot topic right now.